We praise God that some hungry people got fed yesterday through the food bank, through your obedience and your generosity to give to the things of the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Psalm chapter 30? Psalm 30. And let me pray for us. Father, we've done our best to worship you in song, to sing to you and to sing about you. And we thank you, Lord, that already we feel better because we've been in your presence. But Lord, this is a relationship and the communication is not one way. You now have something to say to us. Lord, don't let me stand in the way of what you want to say to your people today. Because your word is flawless, but I am flawed. Thank you that you knew that when you called me. And I thank you, Lord, that grace has a way of superabounding over flaws and frailties. And Lord, and as I speak to encourage your people, I pray that you speak and encourage me knowing that I have an audience of one and you're already pleased with me, I don't need to worry about whether I can please people today. Free me, free us of being men and women pleasers. Help us to be God pleasers. Help us to have the kind of faith like Moses. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Help us to see and right now, help us to hear you. Bless this word. Bless this sermon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank the church for all of your love and all of your support, all of your encouragement uh, to stand with me and to stand by me in the home going of my mother, Betty Williamson. And, uh, you know, last week we were in Maryland and the Lord gave me the privilege of uh, speaking her eulogy. And I did so from her Bible. And it was my honor that the woman who brought me in to the world, I had uh, the responsibility of overseeing her departure from this earth as we committed her remains to the earth on Monday. And uh, God graced us, but I just want to say thank you for the cards, for the texts, for the calls. Some of you gave money to help us with our expenses. And uh, Strong Tower, I just want to, again, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you. And this message today, um, I want to walk you through some of my feelings some of my emotions um, because everything is a teachable moment because the master is always teaching us in all things and so this is a teachable time and um, I'm not the first person and I surely won't be the last person who has had to deal with the death of a parent and so both of my, my, my parents mom and dad are in glory 
and uh, having a good time. And, uh, and, and if they could come back, they would not come back. <laughs> no, man. So that's the hope that we have. That's the joy. But on Friday night of last week, before the funeral on Saturday, um, we had flown in that day on Friday, uh, my entire family, and uh, we're getting ready for the funeral, for the homegoing celebration on Saturday. And I was immediately thrown into spiritual warfare. I could tell, I could feel it, I knew it. And uh, I was anxious, I was overly anxious. My peace had been disturbed and uh, I was just overly anxious. And that night, that Friday night, I could not sleep. I struggled in sleep. And then when I did drift off to sleep, I dreamt some things that were borderline demonic, uh, evil, and dark. So I knew that I was being tormented. And, uh, and so it was late, and Darina was asleep, and I was up, and I could not go to sleep. And so... Uh, at that moment, I got some help because the helper within me began to speak to me. And he brought to my recollection Philippians chapter 4, where it says, Be anxious for nothing. So the Bible says we are to have communion with the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak to the Spirit Be anxious, not even for my mother's funeral. And the Lord was like, that's right, be anxious for nothing, not even your mother's funeral. I've got to do the eulogy. My sister's officiating. She's probably stressed tonight. Uh, for the past couple weeks, Lord, I've been getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Members of my family have been getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Our sleep has left us. And you tell me to be anxious for nothing. And the Holy Spirit was like, that's right, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer. And supplication. So I said, all right, Lord, let's pray. And then I started asking God to supply. Supply my needs. Supply my family's needs. Supply, supply. And then the Lord said, now, don't forget the rest of the verse. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So I was like, Lord, you want me to start thanking you right now in the midnight hour? He's like, Absolutely. So I started thanking God. I just started going through things, thanking him for safe travel mercies, thanking him uh, that all of my family, we were, we were able to fly together, and the Lord provided the money for us to fly in, thanking God for a good hotel, thanking God for good health, thanking God for this, thanking God for that. Because the more I began to think, the more I began to thank. So I kept thinking, and I kept thinking. And the last thing I know, homeboy was sleep. I thanked myself to sleep. It was like, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I was out. And when I awakened in the morning, that peace that I had lost had came back upon me. The hand of God, his peace was on me. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. 
And so like Peter attempting to walk on water, he was doing fine as long as he kept his eyes and his mind on Jesus. But the minute he looked here and he looked there at the wind and at the waves, taking his eyes off the Lord, homeboy went down. And the Lord just reminded me, you're anxious because you're looking around at everything and everybody but at me. Get Get your mind right, as Elder Sherman would say. And his peace came that morning. And it was my prayer that God's peace would be upon my entire family for the whole weekend. But not only did God give me peace and he gave my family peace, we also had some joy that also came with us in the morning. I woke up to peace, but I also woke up with joy. What is joy? Well, joy is hard to define because it's sometimes hard to explain. Oh, I wish I had a witness today. Uh, uh, we, we, we like definitions of everything as Christians because we can be so cognitive and rational in our faith. And yet we ought to love God with our mind, but also we love him with our soul. And there are just some things that are not explainable because sometimes joy can hit you and it can be unspeakable. You know? so, so the Holy Ghost just does something in you. It's hard to define Because sometimes it's just hard to explain. You just know that you have joy when you have it. It's something that cannot be conjured up or manufactured in the flesh. As I'm going to prove today, it's something that comes from God. Joy is an uplifting inner feeling of delight that comes from God and is not based on outward circumstances. I'll say it again. Joy is an uplifting inner feeling of delight that comes from God, and it is not based on outward circumstances because joy allows you to smile when you should be crying. Joy is a focus on God that leads to good feelings from God. It's a focus on God that leads to good feelings from God. However, this means that before joy is a feeling, it is first a focus. So we're looking for the feeling when God is saying, I'm looking for your focus. And when the focus is there, the feelings will come. Joy is spiritual, whereas happiness is material and circumstantial. Because there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is spiritual, whereas happiness is is material and circumstantial. Joy is inward. Happiness is outward. Joy lingers. Happiness wavers. Joy cannot be produced in the flesh. Joy belongs to God. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the, it's the Lord's doing. Joy belongs to God. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. It is a gift from the spirit. It is an outgrowth of the Spirit of God working in our lives, Galatians 5.22, because God knew we would need help. So he placed the helper inside of each and every one of us, and we are no longer orphans, but we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And the Spirit of God in us interacts with our human spirit, telling us that we're children of God. So this power, this person who lives in us, as Minister Cleon preached last week, the fruit is there. And it's not something that we make, it's just something we bear. Joy is something that God gives you and it is not contingent upon your circumstances because joy is supernatural. 
The Old Testament Hebrew words for joy include things like singing. So when you have joy, you're going to sing. When you have joy, you're going to dance according to the Hebrew word. There's going to be some shouting, exclaiming, being loud, leaping, and having gladness. When you think about the Hebrew word for joy, it includes singing, dancing, exclaiming, leaping, shouting, and gladness. And the main New Testament word, the Greek word for joy, is kara. Kara. And that uh, uh, leads to the word charis, which is grace. So joy, kara, comes from charis, which is grace. Joy is an act of grace against something that comes from God. Joy not only comes from God, it is also found in God. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in him. Uh, And here's a jailbird, Paul, locked up in in Rome, writing to the Philippian church, not knowing if he's going to die. But he has more joy behind bars than the church does free. Because his joy is not coming from his circumstances. His joy is coming from the Lord. It's the fruit of the Spirit operating in his life. And he's telling those folks who are free out there, Rejoice. In other words, have joy again. Rejoice. Let's do a do-over again, a reset. Get your joy back, church. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. That must mean the church needs to hear this message about having joy. Because a joyless Christian is a Christian who is not spending time with God, relying on God, looking more at circumstances than at God, depending more on their strength than the Lord's strength. And so when you see joyless Christians looking like they've just been baptized in lemon juice, (laughs) something's wrong. That don't mean we got to go around with a big old cheesy smile on our face all the time. But what we know is we know someone who gives us the victory because I know how it's going to turn out. So no matter what I'm going through, I know how it's going to turn out. Football season is upon us. People are getting excited over preseason wins. Don't you be those kind of people. Okay? They're getting excited. Titans won in a preseason game. Okay, all right now, okay, all right. The real season will start in a few weeks. And there are times when uh, I can't make it home to watch the game. And so we'll pre-record the game. And then I'll watch the game later. Now, there are times I'll pre-record the game. I'll go and check to find out who won the game. And when I find out the Titans won the game, that makes me feel good. So when I'm watching the game that was pre-recorded, I already know how the end's going to be. So I don't panic when I see them down in the fourth quarter by 10 because I know what the end is going to be. So I can have joy in the midst of the struggle because I know what the end is going to be. Does anybody know what the end is going to be? So, so you're in fourth and 10 and you, you know, you're down by three and, and a few seconds on the clock, but... I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. I know that my redeemer lives and I shall see him standing on the earth in the latter day. So so I know how the end is going to be. So because I'm not 
completely controlled or driven by what I see around me and how I interact with the world. I'm looking higher. I'm thinking higher. So therefore, I can feel differently. I've got joy. The world can't give it. And the world what? Can't take it away. It comes from God. So joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy comes from God. Joy is found in God. So help me preach this morning on the topic of joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. Reading from the New King James Version, David says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. Did you read what I just read? But joy comes in the morning. So my question is, why does joy come in the morning? Well, before I attempt to answer that question, let me say a few things about Psalm 30. Okay, let me just say a few things about Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is the dedication of David's house. And so we see this in the header in the New King James Version. It says that it is a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. And so we, we have some context to this particular psalm. And this is when David's house was dedicated. And this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5 verses 9 through 12. So when David had defeated uh, the, the city of Jerusalem because it was occupied by the Jebusites, he defeated that uh, city, took it over, and it became known as the city of David. And the Bible lets us know that he built a house. Matter of fact, there were some friends of his who came in and built the house. And verse 11 of 2 Samuel 5, it says, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So David has become king. Saul has passed. David is now king. He's taken Jerusalem as his stronghold, as the city of David, and his friend builds him a house. And the Bible says that David knew he was established. He knew he was established. What this says to me is that before David knew he was established, he also knew there was a time when he was not established. What that means is that he spent a whole lot of time running from Saul and living in the wilderness, sleeping outdoors, and running for his life. And he did this for many, many years, maybe even upwards of 15 years or more. But he's now in a new season. Let me hear the church say new season. New season. He's in a new season. He's not running anymore. He's established now. He's not sleeping outdoors now. He has built a house for himself now. He's in a new season. And this new season began for David at the age of 30. At the age of 30. So I'm just here to let somebody know who's wondering when they're going to be established. And you're 25. You're 30. You may be 40. You may have never owned a house. I want to let you know that God can establish you. It's not too late. Okay? 
Because some of us, we, we go to college and we spend a lot of money to get a degree, but we end up not working in that field because God wants to establish us in another way, in another town, in another city, in another profession, with another church, another group of people. He'll establish you. Amen. And so David is established here. He's in a new season. But not only that, in Psalm 30, he's excited about this new season. He's excited because God has been answering his prayers and keeping him from his enemies. So when you read Psalm 30 to yourself later today and this week, David is exclaiming he's excited because God has answered his prayers. Doesn't it feel good when God answers your prayers? As our sister got up a couple weeks ago and said they've been praying for her brother for years. And then all of a sudden, they began to see the answers to their prayers. So don't faint in prayer. Don't give up in prayer. Men and women should always pray and not give up, Jesus said. Don't give up. God heard you. It's just about his timing, his timing. And as we're going to see when we start a new series next week from Ecclesiastes, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. Can we just wait on him and trust him, not throw a temper tantrum, knowing that he's coming? David's excited that all these prayers, he's been running, Lord, save me from Saul. He's trying to kill me. And God answered his prayers, and he's excited. But thirdly and finally about this psalm, David recounts when, David, when God was angry with him, rather, and God hid his face from him. So in verse 4, it says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Then verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. And then in verse 7, David says, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. So God was angry with David, and David said, God, it's like you've hid your face from me. So in the midst of all this joy in this psalm of answering prayer, he's got a new house, he's established but he's also mindful of what he went through. There was a time when God was angry with David and sin had broken their fellowship, causing God to hide his face. And so my question is, what was going on in David's life at this time for God to be angry with him? Well, if I were to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, the same chapter he got his house. That was also the same chapter when he's dancing before the Lord as they went to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into Jerusalem. He's dancing before the Lord because he wants God's favor and God's presence on his reign, unlike his predecessor, King Saul. And they put the Ark on a new cart and they're, they're bringing the Ark into town and everybody's excited. And Uzzah is one of the guys that's alongside of the Ark, but then the oxen pulling the Ark stumbled. Uzzah was sincere, and he touched the ark to keep it from falling, but he became sincerely dead. The Bible says God struck him right there. The party stopped. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that David was afraid of God that day because God's holiness erupted. Why was God angry? Why did a man die? A man died because of David's negligence. Because David did not follow the biblical prescriptions on how to transport the Ark of the Covenant. He followed the way of the world. The way the Philistines, when they captured the Ark, they put it on a cart. 
And so David did what the world did and put the ark on a cart and not having priests carry it on poles. So it was David's negligence that got Uzzah killed. And on that day, David was afraid of God. God was angry with him. But I thank God that David repented. Because the next time they attempted to bring the ark into the city, which was three months later, David opened up his Bible and and he saw what the Bible says and that there are certain people who are to carry the ark because don't play with the presence of God, the holiness of God. And so they started the party again. And this time nobody died. So David said in Psalm 30, your anger is for a moment. And because we have a relationship with God, there are times we grieve God. Every day, we grieve the Lord. We break the heart of God. That's why the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Because as humans, we do that every day. We don't intend to, for those of us who have a heart after God, we still fall short every day. We waffle, we waver. We're inconsistent. We fall short and we disappoint God. But I'm so glad that God's anger has been satisfied for us on this side of Psalm 30 because Jesus died for all of our shortcomings. So it's safe to say that we may disappoint God, but he will never get angry with us to the point where he condemns us. That will never happen. Because there's no condemnation right now for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. God took his wrath out on Jesus. He'll never take it out on us. But I still have a heart. I don't want to disappoint him, but I do. And and I'm so glad that his goodness to me is not based on my goodness to him. And it's that kind of goodness that makes me want to do things the right way. Mercy, mercy, mercy. But sin broke fellowship between God and David. Sin is the robber of joy, but again, so glad David repented. Let me give you a couple things, and I'll take my seat about joy, why it comes in the morning. Number one, joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God has the power to create a new day. I need you to hear this right now because David said in Psalm 30, verse 5, but joy comes in the morning. Why does it come in the morning? Because it reminds us that God has the power to create a new day day. Listen, I I know we've been living long, many of us, we've been living long up in here. We got some people that's lived over 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. We got a couple of 80-year-olds. And and sometimes you can just take for granted that you get another day. Uh, uh, Sometimes you just take for granted that God is the one who creates the day. Oh, you don't believe me. Let me go to Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. You ever made a day before? Do you know anybody in your family that's made a day? No, no, no. The Lord makes the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And so when we wake up in the morning receiving a new day, it's a reminder that God has the power. Well, let me say it like some preachers, the power to create a new day. And that's no small thing. The God I serve, his name is Elohim. That's one of his names. God the creator. He has power to create a day. 
Not only does he have power to create a day, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was. He does this out of nothing, ex nihilo, ex, out of nihilo, nothing. He creates something out of nothing. You and I can't do that. Everything we create comes from something because it all comes from the creator who created everything out of nothing. That's power. That's power. That's power. He creates a day. The late Reverend E.K. Bailey out of Dallas, Texas, once put the creation account this way. God stepped out of nowhere into nothing. He reached out into nothing and caught something. He, he hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. That took power, wonder-working power. He hit the anvil of his own omnipotence with the hammer of his own hand, caught the sparks thereof and flung them into space and called them stars. That took power, wonder-working power. Then God said, let there be light. And light came running from behind the purple curtain of eternity at more than 186,000 miles per second. Light looked back over its shoulder at sound and darkness and said, I don't mean no harm, but God said, let me be. That took power, wonder-working power. If God can make a day, can he make a way? Oh, if God can make a day, can he make a way? And not only does he make a day, he holds the world together. He keeps it from rotating off of his axis. That's the kind of God that we serve. And if he can create a new day, can he create some new opportunities for you? Can he open up some new doors for you? Can he do a new thing in your life? Can't your name be in rooms before your feet ever get there? That's why I'm teaching at Trevecca. I didn't go after them. They came after me. They were talking about me before I knew they were talking about me. But God says, uh, it's time for y'all to bring my son over there to help teach at the school. He's got something for y'all. Y'all got something for him. So when they reached out to me, I said, okay, I'll do it. Because it was a work prepared in advance for me by my God. So when God's got you, you don't have to go out trying to knock down doors that he's locked. Because he knows how to close doors that no man can open, and he knows how to open doors that no man can shut. So in other words, what he's got for you is for you. So you don't need to fret on what you don't have or covet what your neighbor has. Because God's got you. He's written a book about you, Psalm 139. And all of your days were written in his book before any of them came to be. All of your days. And we don't know how many days we got, but this is the day I know I have, so I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it because this is the day that the Lord has made. Secondly, joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God has graciously given us another day. He's graciously given us another day. This means that if I'm still alive, God is not finished with me yet. If he can graciously give me another day, He can give me grace throughout the day because the truth is I don't deserve this day. I don't deserve this day is a gift. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring forth. In other words, 
Don't say in the book of James, we're going to do business here and business there. You say, if the Lord allows, we'll do business here and there. Because all I got is this day and this moment. Tomorrow is not promised to me. I know who holds tomorrow, but it's not promised to me. And so I accept today that if I'm alive today, it's because of grace. If he gave me a day, it's because of grace. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's grace. Everything I get that's good, it's grace. To be alive is grace. To have a day is grace. Because the truth is, I should have been mowed down a long time ago. Uh huh. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 6 says, all flesh is grass. So for those of us who think a little too high of ourselves, let me bring you down to earth. You ain't nothing but grass. <laughs> you ain't nothing but grass. And the Bible even talks about how grass is going to be collected and thrown into the furnace and stuff. So, so you're just grass. I'm grass. And what do you do with grass when it gets too tall? You cut it. You mow it down. All flesh is like grass. And, and, and God can speak to you through anything if you have ears to hear. One day I'm cutting my grass. Got a brand new uh, electric lawnmower, but not one with the cord. It's one with the batteries, you know. You, you, you charge the battery. I, I had to let that gas go. I, I went and got me one of them ones. You, you charge it up, you put it in, and it's quiet. Oh, man, it's quiet. And I'm pushing my lawnmower. And when I get finished, man, I, I, I see a blade of grass sticking up. Because, you know, you, you like to manicure your lawn as much as you can, you know. There's the quick cut when you, when you just got to get it cut. And then when you got time, man, you want to, you know, manicure it, do your thing right. And I looked and I saw a blade of grass that my new mower missed. And the Lord said to me, you know what that is, don't you? I said, what is it, Master? He said, that's a picture of you. That when others have passed, when others have succumbed, I've allowed you to stand by grace. Judgment uh, did not visit you. Uh, it visited my son, and, and you're able to stand. So you're not standing because you're good. You're standing because I'm good and I'm gracious because Psalm 130 says, if the Lord were to mark iniquity, who could stand? In other words, if he took a record of our sins, who could stand before God? None of us could stand. But I can stand today because somebody stood for me in my place, allowing me to stand like that blade of grass. It's only because of his mercy that I'm standing today. Is there anybody here who knows that it's only by the grace of God? It's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. There go I. It's only by the grace of God. Lamentations chapter 3. You got to hear what the weeping prophet Jeremiah said. He says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. Yeah, yeah, we go through a myriad of emotions as believers. My soul sinks. Verse 21, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. So in other words, I, I got to get my thinking right. My feelings are real, but I got to get my mind right. So I got to recall some things to mind, which gives me hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, my. 
When we start thinking like this, that's when that joy hits our soul. You know, because back in the day, your grandmother didn't need much to get happy in the Lord. You know, she didn't need much. She just would start thinking about the goodness of Jesus. And then somebody would start saying, when I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I can dance, 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 dance all night. Dun, 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 dun. And they hit it, boy. It wasn't fake. It was real. It was real. You didn't have much when you left the church to go home to. A beat-up car, a small house. But joy hit your soul. And, and, and when you went home to that house, it was like you were living in a mansion. Because joy did something to you. You get in that car, the radiator is leaking and this and that. But you feel like you're driving in some kind of limousine because joy did something to you. <laughs> Thank God for joy. Some of us got too much stuff, and that's why we don't have joy. We got too much to lean on rather than depend on God. We got too much money sometimes, and, and we think that our money is our strength, and, and we're deceived, no, boy. And then something will happen that will humble you real quick and get your mind back to where it should have been in the first place. Because when God blesses us, he doesn't bless us to stress us. He blesses us to be a blessing. He blesses us to give because it's more joyful to give than to receive. And, and so, but when we hoard, we don't have joy. Uh, that was for free. That, that, that just came in from left field from the Holy Ghost. Thirdly and finally, joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God's son rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. Why does joy come in the morning? Because Jesus got up early one Sunday morning. And because he got up, I can get up. I can get up out that bed and I can go on about my life because he lives. I can face today and tomorrow. Jesus got up early. And you said, now, Pastor, you're taking a leap from Psalm 30, aren't you? No, I'm not. Who's the guy that wrote Psalm 30? David. Well, let's go over to Psalm 16 because he wrote that too. And he says this in verse 9 of Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the place of the dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of what? Joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David, what are you talking about? I don't even know if David knew what he was talking about when he wrote what he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for Psalm 16. But he's talking about, you're not going to let my soul be left in Sheol. I'm not going to see corruption. What's going on here? Well, let me go over to Acts chapter 2 and let me hear an apostle make it plain. Peter's preaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades or Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me you will make me full of joy in your presence. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, you ain't know David was a prophet, did you? He was not only a king, but he had the ability to prophesy, talk about the future. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, in other words, one of his descendants, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. What's going on here? In Psalm 16, when David talked about, you're not going to leave my body in the grave where it begins to corrupt. You're not going to leave my soul in Sheol. He was speaking prophetically about one of his descendants who would sit on his throne, but who would also be the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ. And that when Jesus died, his body was placed into a tomb. And what day did Jesus get up on? Was it the first day? Was it the second day? Was it the fourth day? It was the what? Third day. Third day. When Lazarus died, how long was he in the grave? Four days. What did they say about his body? Starting to stink because he's decaying on the fourth day. Jesus got up before corruption hit his body. Third day. Third day. So God didn't leave Jesus in the grave long enough for his body to stink or to corrupt. But he got up on the third day. And that's why they said, now David is here. His grave is right around the corner. Y'all know it. So he wasn't talking about himself. Who was he talking about? Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Who when Jesus got up and he went back into the presence of the Father, there was fullness of joy for Jesus. And because Jesus went ahead of us, now we can go into the presence of the Father before the throne room of God. And what do we have? We have joy in the presence of God. So why does joy come in the morning? Because it reminds us that Jesus got up early on Sunday morning. And because he got up, we can get up and face the day. Well, David said that joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God has the power to create a new day. Joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God has graciously given us another day. Joy comes in the morning because it reminds us that God's son rose from the dead early one Sunday morning. And when I think about what we were going through last week as a family, how we were mourning and we're still mourning, grief hits us all differently. But Paul encourages Christians that when we grieve, we are people who grieve with hope. Why? Because we believe in the resurrection. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. So our loved ones, though not here with us, they are with the Lord, living forever. And we will soon join them. So we grieve. 
but we do so with hope because of the gospel. Therefore, when you have joy in the morning, you can have joy in your morning. Oh, that went right over your head. You, you, you missed it. I got I to say it one more time. When you have joy in the morning, you can have joy in your morning. I put a you in that second one, all right? Pastor, why are you doing that? I'm just trying to be biblical. Because in Psalm 30, verse 5, we see that joy comes in the morning. M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Morning, day. But in verse, let's see here, 11, it says, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. So he puts the you in there, speaking of grieving. So there are two mornings in this song, morning day, morning grief. And when you have joy in the morning, God can put joy in your morning. Why? Look at verse 11. It says, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You, you did it. You did it. I didn't do it. You did it. And you have put off my sackcloth, my, my, my grave clothes. I'm, I'm grieving. And clothed me with what? Gladness. You, you did it. I didn't do it myself. I didn't conjure it up. I, I didn't try to manufacture it. You did it. Why? It's the work of God. And when you see God in this passage, he's working. In verse 1, you have lifted me up. Verse 2, you healed me. Verse 3, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive. Verse 7, you have made my mountain stand strong. And then verse 11, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me, clothed me with gladness. So if we work with God, knowing that God will do the work, that, that, that he'll give me what I need. I, I just want to work with him by submitting to him and yielding to him and trusting him and relying on him. That's my part. And watch him do what I can't do, and that is turn it. I think we were singing that this morning. He'll turn it, and we didn't pre-plan this with Jewel, but, but he'll turn it. You have turned for me. Anybody need God to turn something? My, my morning, I've been mourning, I've been mourning. But you have turned for me my morning into dancing. God wants you to dance. You've been limping, you've been whining, you've been moping, but God wants to turn it in you before he turns it around you. We want God to fix it out there. Lord, I tell you, if you change that circumstance, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's where happiness is at. No, he wants to turn it in you because he may not ever turn it around out here, down here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and everybody that he heals going to die. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So if he heals your cancer, praise the Lord, but you're still going to die. So here ain't the focus. There is the focus. But until then, would you do something in me? Would you turn it for me? My friend Fred Hammond sings, late in the midnight hour, God's going to turn it around. It's going to work in your favor. Oh, I wish I could sing. I start singing right now. When's the midnight hour? 12 o'clock. Because sometimes you don't have to wait for the sun to rise in the morning to have joy in the midnight hour because the new day starts at midnight. 
And he can turn it and give you that peace and give you that joy that surpasses your understanding. And you're sitting here saying, why do I have joy? Why am I lifting my hands? Why is my soul light when it was heavy? What's going on? It's the Holy Spirit turning it for you, turning it in you. And God is going to allow you to go through some things so you can know him as a turner. One who gives you joy in the minute. He's going he to let you go through some stuff, maybe even a death, so that you can know what joy is like when it comes from him. And once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, my Lord. One of the first funerals we had in this new facility that, that we moved into in 2012, one of the first funerals we had was of one of our deacons, and his name was Frank Cyrus. Frank had cancer, and uh, he was battling. He was fighting it. He would be up. He'd be down. I mean, man, they were going through. He and his lovely wife, Cynthia, we would go to the house, anoint him with oil, pray over him, pray with them. And she was, you know, all the medications. They had to put his bed in the living room, and, and we would go over as much as we could and, and encourage them. But, but they would also encourage us. Why? Because the Spirit was working on them, that although the outward man was wasting away, the inward man was being renewed. So the Holy Spirit was doing something supernatural. So we would enjoy going to see the Cyruses. Well, the Lord decided to take him home. And Frank loved jazz, and so I preached about jazz and the eulogy and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and I remember after the funeral, we went to the fellowship hall for the repass. And they're showing pictures of Frank on the screen. And underneath it was jazz music being played. And so some of it was upbeat music. And his widow, Cynthia, got up. And she went to the front of the fellowship hall right in front of the screen, and she started dancing. I've never seen that before in my life. At the repast, she started dancing. And we're like, what's going on? Joy was showing up in her where she was dancing that her husband is not suffering anymore, that he is free. He is with Jesus. He is completely healed. And she felt so much lifted. Her feet got happy, her hands got light, and she started dancing in the fellowship hall. Well, being her pastor, I couldn't let her dance by herself, and so I got up, and I started dancing with Cynthia, the widow of Frank, right there in our fellowship hall. We even did the bump, the good foot, the slide, all that stuff, and that was not the work of the flesh. That was the work of the Spirit. I pray that God does that in your life. Father, thank you for this word. I, I needed to be reminded where my help comes from. I thank you that you stand ready to visit us, to turn it around, to give us joy in the midst of our mourning and our sorrow. Thank you for holding me and my family last week. Thank you for keeping us to this day. We give you glory. You're real. We can't fake this stuff. It's either real or it's not. And I'm here to testify, Lord, you are so real. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray for those today who need your joy. I pray, Lord, that they would get in your word, get in your presence, and just let you do what you do. Fill them up, oh God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.